0: Star Wars 7x7, episode 721. Well, the good news is that you don't have to wait for Entertainment Weekly to hit newsstands to start getting a taste of all their coverage of Rogue One in their exclusive first look cover story. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the stories in the magazine. It is the story about the issue that has been plaguing fans ever since rumors about it began to leak out. It's the whole question of the reshoots, and we will dive into it right here. Punch it, Chewie. Hi, this is Mike and Joe from the Cantina Cast. And you're listening to Star Wars 7x7, the only daily Star Wars podcast. Hey, Rebel Rouser. Welcome to Star Wars 7x7. I'm your host, Alan Voivod. And let's make one thing clear at the get-go. Entertainment Weekly is not 60 minutes, it's not hard copy or inside edition or any other, you know, TMZ, you know, crazy stalking news outlet, crazy grill you until you break under pressure, Barbara Walters interview or anything like that. No, this is a publication that is giving Lucasfilm an outlet to tell their side of the story about the Rogue One reshoots. I'm not suggesting that Lucasfilm or Entertainment Weekly is being dishonest in any way, shape, or form. By all means, I am not suggesting that. I'm just suggesting that the story is true from a certain point of view, as it were. So let's start from the top. The article suggests that there is a brain trust inside Lucasfilm, which is similar to the brain trust inside Pixar. Makes total sense to me. And also, hey, the story group, right? You know, I'm not sure if they're talking about that as being the brain trust. They don't explicitly state it, but it sure seems like that could be the case. Said they wanted to pump up or punch up its emotion and action beats. So what exactly does that mean, punch up its emotion and action beats? Well, It's hard to tell from the phrasing because it could be punch up its emotion as in just its emotional energy somehow, or it could be emotion beat and action beat, depending on how you read the sentence structure of that. And for what it's worth, according to, uh, not Wikipedia, in this case, it's Wikipedia, in the context of the timing of the film, a beat refers to an event, decision, or discovery that alters the way the protagonist pursues his or her goal. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be the protagonist, it could just be characters in the story and they have their own beats because, of course, it is an ensemble cast, so they're going to have their own different story arcs and so on and so forth. But to hear the filmmakers tell it, that's not that big a deal. It's not as if they are completely changing the direction of the script by adding these emotion and or action beats that weigh on the decision-making process that the protagonists of different scenes make. It's actually something a little bit different less onerous than that. According to Gareth Edwards, he says, it was always part of the plan to do reshoots. We always knew we were coming back somewhere to do stuff. We just didn't know what it would be until we started sculpting the film in the edit. And that, to me, kind of makes more sense than anything else because as you are putting together the film and making tweaks in the edit process, you might suddenly say to yourself, gee whiz, I wish I had a shot that was of Jin being a little bit more... I don't know, uh, contemplative about something that she's doing, and so we need a little shot of her for a pickup, just you know, sitting there thinking a little harder for example, or you know something where Diego Luna gives a bit more of a reaction shot to an explosion that happens, and that sort of thing, you know, it could be very small and not necessarily alter the entirety of the movie, or require huge reshoots just based on these little moments and according to the article, it sounds like the reason why we're hearing about four weeks of reshoots, five weeks of reshoots, and why everybody's in a tizzy over it is not because they have so many to do. It's more about the fact that because they have such a large ensemble cast, that it's difficult to get them at the right place at the right time in a short span of time. They're having to do it across four or five weeks because they have to deal with with schedules. This is another quote from Gareth Edwards. He says, obviously you've got to work around everyone's schedule and everyone's on different films all over the world. And so it's a bit of a logistical nightmare. That's why I think it's been blown out of proportion a little bit, unquote. And later on the president of Lucasfilm and producer of these movies, Kathleen Kennedy chimes in to say, there's nothing about the story that's changing with a few things that we're picking up in additional photography. I think that's the most important thing to reassure fans. It's the movie we intended to make It is going to be a battlefront kind of movie and Kathleen Kennedy also goes on to say that they are deliberately leaning into the various styles of directors they're approaching so that each of the movies will very intentionally have a very different tone and style from the saga films. Now that, of course, is all that we were hoping to hear, and therefore it's meant to reassure us, and yeah, I personally find myself pretty reassured. I'd love to know what you think about the subject, so please do chime in at the comments of the blog post for this show's episode at sw7x7.com. Now there's one more thing in the article that I want to draw your attention to, and this is particularly fascinating for the saga films and the story films, because it's going to set a tone for everything that comes afterward, and it's the use of Star Wars tropes as it's described like for example the crawl that you see at the beginning of the movies are they going to do these same Star Warsy kinds of things Things in the standalone movies as they do in the saga movies. Kathleen Kennedy says, We talk about that all the time. It's something that we're right in the midst of discussing even now, so I don't want to say definitively what we're doing. The crawl and some of those elements live so specifically within the saga films that we are having a lot of discussion about what will define the standalone Star Wars stories and make them separate and apart from the saga film. So we're right in the middle of talking about that, unquote. And it's hard to say which way they might go. I mean, on the one hand, all the comic books are using a crawl on their opening pages. So, you know, like they've gone with those even though they are not saga necessarily in terms of their comic book series or anything like that, but they're doing it. However, you get to the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels on TV, and none of those do crawls. They just have, or at least the Clone Wars had, the font in the equivalent of the Long Time Ago in a Galaxy Far, Far Away print on the very beginning of the episode, and Rebels does not do that at all. So that is an element I'm very curious to see. Uh, how they decide on my money is going to be on there being a crawl. I mean, without a crawl, it almost doesn't seem like a Star Wars movie. and It almost seems confusing. And yeah, you could make the case that if there's a crawl, then it's going to confuse people into thinking it's a saga movie when it's not a saga movie. So I'm sure there's a way around that if they were to say, you know, like not even include the episode thing and just say, you know, Rogue One is Star Wars story and leave it at that and not say episode three and a half or three and nine tenths or anything like that. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me to see them flip it around entirely. So, you know, usually it says episode 7, episode 8, episode 9. If they actually said a Star Wars story, colon, and then had the title in large letters Rogue One. I could absolutely see them doing that. I'd love to know what you think they're going to do about the crawl and any other things you commonly see in Star Wars saga movies. Share those thoughts at the comments of the blog post for this show's episode at SW7X7.com. Hey, Rebel Rouser have I got some awesome news for you. So I've been talking to the folks at Zebra Imaging that create the awesome Star Wars 3D holograms, and they decided to do a special offer for Star Wars 7x7 podcast listeners. Normally, your first hologram bundle, which is a display and the first hologram as a package deal is $249. And for the next week you have the opportunity to get it for just $99. Yes, it's $150 off. All you have to do is go to SW7x7.com slash hologram, pick the bundle you want, whether it's Han Solo and Carbonite, the Death Star Trench run, Kylo Ren, or R2-D2 projecting Princess Leia. Pick the bundle you want, check out and enter promo code Allen99, that's A-L-L-E-N, the number 9 and the number 9 again, to save $150 get your first bundle, not $249, just $99. Again, SW7X7.com slash hologram and Allen99 through June 30th. Alright, let's get you a trivia question here. Red squad, blue squad, take my lead. I'm on it. Last time we asked you what real world organization is represented with a flag outside of Maz Kanata's castle, that is the 501st Legion, the bad guys doing good. Today's question. There's another emblem that's been identified outside of Mazcanada's castle. It pertains to a planet and a certain type of character. It seems like they get typecast. And it also pertains to a real world organization as well. What symbol is that? Thanks for listening to another episode of Star Wars 7x7. And hey, before you test out your new robot hand, check out sw7x7.com for show notes links photos videos and more and we'll be able to do even more with the show for you with your support at patreon.com sw7x7 it's not the rebel fleet it's destiny unleashed